Anybody here have to deal with difficult people in their lives? Okay, no pointing, no pointing. I see some of you nudging. Um, yeah, we all do. We all have to deal with difficult people in our lives. And, um, you know, we don't really have very good strategies for this. Uh, our strategies usually involve uh, either cutting people off or we will hope that they will change. Now, I don't know what your experience is. My experience is uh, that difficult people in my life uh, often do not change and they never seem to move. You know, especially if you have a difficult neighbor, they're there forever. Um, now, here's something that you need to know, need to understand, and that is every relationship, every relationship is gonna have difficult moments, which means at any given moment, the difficult person in your life may be a person that you actually love, you may be married to them, they may be your child, they may be your parent. So learning how to deal with difficult people is an essential relationship skill. And that's why I think that one of the most important teachings Jesus gives us is an alternative way of dealing with difficult people. Don't just cut them off and don't just hope that they will get better. Instead, Jesus says to us in Matthew 5, this, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, you've probably heard that verse before, and like most of us, you probably have discounted it in some way, and you've said, well, that's not just, that's just not practical, it's just not real. Jesus must mean that for only super spiritual saints. But I think the words of Dallas Willard here are real important. Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher, says, the real measure of our devotion to Jesus is how natural our response is to our enemies. We need to grow a character like Jesus to be able to do this instinctively. You hear what Dallas Willard is saying? We need to become like Jesus so that our first thought about our enemies is not how do I get even, but instead, how do I love them? How do I pray for them? Now, I hope that many of you are there, that this is part of your devotion to Christ, that you instinctively love your enemies. I'm going to admit I'm not there. Uh, I still have a lot of room to grow in this area with the difficult people in my life. I'm back still at my first thoughts are either hoping they will change or cutting them out of my life. And so this message is really as much for me as it is for you. Now, we've been doing this series called Relationship 101, and we've been talking about how we do relationships according to the model of Jesus. And you may remember that the first week, uh, two weeks ago, I gave you five concepts about relationships. And last week, Matt preached and he gave us one concept about relationships. Now I'm gonna give you this week four more concepts. And you may be wondering why I gave you five and four and Matt only gave you one. And that's because student pastors are only allowed one concept per sermon. That is not true, I totally made that up. Okay, the truth is Matt is a lot better than me at compressing everything into one concept. So today, let's start with the first concept of four, and that is no paybacks. No paybacks. Remember we talked about Adam Grant's research 
about how uh, in relationships, people either tend to be takers, self-explanatory, matchers, you want to match, or you are a giver. Now, if you are a taker or a matcher, this is a hard concept because you are constantly thinking, how do I make this even? How do I get this to even out? How do I make sure I never wind up on the losing end? I am embarrassed to say that I have had to learn more how to be a giver. Naturally, I am more of a matcher. And so, uh, in the early years of my marriage, uh, when Gina would uh, tell me that I had done something wrong, uh, my first instinct was to defend and deny that I had done something wrong. Uh, after about 20 years, I learned that was not a good tactic. And so then I learned that uh, I just need to say, okay, you're right, I'm wrong, because I was, I was wrong. And so I would just admit, I'm wrong, but there's this evil little voice that lives inside my soul, which then would say, but I'll be watching you. And I'm gonna find out when you do something wrong, and then I'm gonna jump on you. Isn't that a mature attitude? Let me ask you, do you think that built much intimacy in the marriage? No. I, I promise you this, takers and matchers do not have true intimacy in a relationship because they're always watching to make sure that they come out even, that there's always a payback whenever they feel injured in the relationship. So listen to what Paul says in verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, Paul puts two ideas in this verse around paybacks. Number one, don't do them. Don't repay evil for evil. Why? Because then you're always keeping score. You're always looking for what is wrong with a person instead of what is right with a person. And if you look long enough, you can always find what's wrong with a person because we're all sinners. There's always something wrong with every one of us. But even more than that, if that is your attitude, I'm going to pay you back evil, what you're allowing to happen in your own soul is the space for bitterness. You become a bitter person, and that bitterness is a poison, a toxic substance to your soul. And don't deceive yourself to think, well, I'll just be bitter toward him, and it won't affect my relationship toward her. It doesn't work that way. Bitterness toward one person in your life will leak over and become bitterness to every person in your life. So don't repay evil for evil. But then Paul goes on and he says, instead, uh, do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now, this is great Greek and doesn't translate well into English. Literally, it says, think ahead good before all men. That means my goal in every relationship, and especially in difficult relationships, is to think ahead before they offend me and think about how can I do good for them. So let's say you work for a difficult person. Your boss is very difficult. Instead of plotting about how one day you can get him fired or plotting how one day you'll just change jobs, what would happen if you prayed for your difficult boss? Now, don't pray, Lord, let him drop dead. I know that's a temptation, right? But what if you prayed, God, 
Bless him. What if you brought your boss a cup of coffee? What if you did something good for him? Now, I know some of you were thinking, well, if I did something good for him, then he would have the heart attack and he would die and that would be great. No. What would happen if you did what was right in the eyes of all men? You think that relationship might change? Here's what I know for sure. It has a better possibility of changing if you do what is right than if you keep looking for ways to pay it back. So get rid of payback thinking and start planning good. In every significant relationship, start planning how you're going to do good for that person. That's going to take some space emotionally. It's going to take some space for you to think through. Plan good. Now, let me give you the second concept that Paul lays out. This is the concept of peace if possible. To be at peace with someone is not merely to not be in conflict with them. To really be at peace with someone means that you have a sense of safety. It means that you have a, a citadel of trust. I can trust that whatever you say, whatever you do, you want good for me, not evil. So listen to what Paul says. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now this would be a game changer in marriage, wouldn't it? If you said, hey, our goal in marriage is not to make things even and not to find out who's right and who's wrong. Our goal in marriage is to be at peace. That doesn't mean you don't have conflict. No, no, no. It just means your goal in conflict is to come together, not prove who's right and who's wrong. See, if you have that kind of peace in a relationship, it means you can have safety and trust to talk about the most difficult things of life. And that's really what Jesus intends for church to be. You know, Paul's writing all this to the church. The church is a relationship laboratory where we're learning how to do this with each other so then we can go out and do it in our homes and our families and in our world. Now, Paul gives us a very important caveat. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, you alone cannot make peace in a relationship. There are some people you have relationships with who do not want there to be peace in the relationship. One of the first lessons I learned as a child was never pet an injured dog. What will happen if you do? That dog will bite you. Why? Because he's so wounded, he cannot recognize a gesture of friendship, of affection. And just like a wounded animal, there are people who are so wounded, they cannot recognize love, peace, a gesture of friendship. And when you encounter those people in your life, and you find out, you pray through it, you find out it's not possible to have peace, what do you do? Do you remember Jesus saying to his disciples, if you go to a village and you preach the gospel and they do not receive you, shake the dust off your sandals and go to the next town. 
Yeah, there is a time when you have to say, peace is not possible now. Maybe it's possible later. Maybe one day it will occur, but it's not possible now. I had a pastor friend who called me and he was going through some really difficult times in his church. And he said, Clay, when do I know that it's time to leave? And I'm really not this smart. The Holy Spirit just gives me things to say sometimes. And I really felt impressed by the Holy Spirit that came out of my mouth before I knew what I was saying. I said, you know it's time to leave when their woundedness is so deep, they will not let you be their shepherd. And he resigned a couple of months later because that was the situation he was in. So what are the signs that you can't have peace in a relationship? Well, the other person doesn't work at the relationship. Or the other person is always blaming you for all the problems. Or the other person is closed off. Or the other person is in denial and say, I don't have a problem. You're the one with problems. Can we just pause and acknowledge that whenever there's a problem in a relationship, there are two people involved. And if you really want to have problems in relationships, you have three people involved. Or four. Or ten. See, the more people involved in that relationship, the more challenging it is to have peace. Again, that's why church is supposed to be a place of peace. Well, we're supposed to model this, that it is possible for people of diverse backgrounds, diverse educations, diverse economic status, diverse racial backgrounds to actually live in peace with one another. So let me ask you a couple of really challenging questions. First of all, are you seeking peace in relationships? Is that your goal? And the second question, are there relationships in your life right now where it is not possible to have peace? And when you pray about that relationship, you get confirmation. God is saying, not now. Maybe later, not now. All right, concept number three. Concept number three is remember, God has the last word. God has the last word about every person and about every relationship. And to be real honest, we don't like this because when we really acknowledge that God has the last word in relationships, it means we're not in control. And most of us do not like that. We want to be in control. But Paul says in verse 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. My mission in life is not to make sure everything is even. In fact, my mission in life is not even to punish people for the wrong that they do. God has the last word. Paul says, leave room for God's wrath. Now that means you've got to have great trust in God. You've got to actually understand that God sees more than you see. That God knows how this is all going to end. That God is already at work in the future in that person's life that you say is difficult. So you don't get the last word. God is the one who judges. I don't get to hold people ultimately accountable. Yes, there are relationships now on earth where I am a parent and where I am the boss, I hold people accountable, sure. 
But I have to remember, even in those relationships, God gets the last word. Now, what is this whole idea of the wrath of God? And we don't talk a lot about that, but the wrath of God is very simple. It is God's anger expressed when people are choosing self-destructive patterns in their lives. And the most self-destructive thing a person can choose is to do life without God. And that makes God mad. I mean, it's the same anger I used to feel on a much, 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 much smaller scale when I would set food before my children and they would not eat it. And I knew that food was good for them. And I would tell them, eat that food. And they would say, no. And I would say, please eat the food. And they would say, no. I would say, I will give you a dollar if you eat the food. And they would say, no. And then they would begin to throw the food. And honestly, my reaction as a parent was not, blessed be the name of the Lord. (laughs) I got angry. I didn't hit them. I didn't yell at them. I sent them to their room without their supper. And then I'd feel guilty and sneak them a pot tart later. But that's another story. That's enabling. We're not going there. Shouldn't God be angry when the people that he loves so much turn their backs on him and say, no, I don't want what's best for my life. I want what will destroy me. That's God's wrath. Now, if you take this seriously, and I do, it means I have to face the reality that not only do difficult people endure God's wrath, I have to face the hard question, when am I a difficult person? When have I been that person who knows the right thing to do and yet I do the wrong thing? And I know that has to break God's heart. And so I have to go back and I have to ask God's forgiveness for when I am the difficult person. And I have to ask God to help me change Now, if you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your savior, if you've never turned control of your life over to him, that's the first step of inviting God's power into your life to change your life direction. It's when you actually acknowledge, I can be the difficult person, God, I acknowledge that, and so please forgive me and put me on a different path. I'm gonna follow Jesus from now on. Now, I know there are still some of you in this room who are protesting, and you are saying, Clay, you don't know what she did to me, and you don't know what he did to me, and Clay, I hope they die. I get that. Can I just tell you that when I heard about the war in Ukraine this week, I began my prayer not with, God, let there be peace. My prayer started with, God, would you please kill Putin? I did. I thought, here's one evil man. He's telling a bunch of lies. He has command of armies and military might. God, would you please just smite, give him a heart attack, Lord, in Jesus' name. And even as I was praying that, I had to remember, no, that's not really, it's not really what God wants. Don't, Don't you remember the verse we all know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son? that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I had to change my prayer. Now, let me pause right here and say, this is why 
you should pray and start with what you feel, even if it's not right, and then God will lead you to the right prayer to pray, because then I changed my prayer to God. I know you love this man. God, change his soul. God, save him. Now, did I put a few doubts in there? God, I don't know how you're going to do this. Sure. Do you see how different that is? God gets the last word in Vladimir Putin's life, not me. Now, I will admit to you this is a process. It happens over time. It happens with a lot of prayer. You have to talk it out with spiritually wise friends. Remember, God gets the last word. So where in your life do you need to let go and remember that God has the last word? What relationship in your life do you need to remember God's got the last word in this? Is it a relationship you have with a parent, a child, a friend, somebody at work? Last concept, the fourth and fourth one. And this is the power of good. Now, Paul here is going to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 32. And this is important because sometimes you hear people say, well, I like the God of the New Testament. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Remember, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, same God. The God who loved people in the New Testament also loved people in the Old Testament. And, and, and this is a quote from Deuteronomy 32 in the Old Testament, and Paul gives it to us to remind us this has always been God's heart. He says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul is saying, when it's possible, be kind to your enemy. Give your enemy something to drink. Give him something to eat. Now, this is why Dallas Willard said, you know, your ability to do this is a test of your true devotion to Jesus Christ. When you encounter the difficult people in your life, are you looking for opportunities to bless them and to do good for them? Now, you may protest. Again, you say, you don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she said to me. You don't know how they have treated me. You don't know how they abused me. And you're right, I don't. But what I do know is when you are focusing on that difficult person, you are giving them power over your life. And God does not want that for you. They're occupying too large a place in your soul. Now you may need to grieve that you didn't have the mom you wish you'd had. You may have to grieve that, that your spouse is not the, all you wanted them to be. And, you may have to grieve that your child didn't turn out the way you wanted, but, but here's what I want you to know. Still, if you can do it at all, bring good to those people. And, and Paul quotes again from Deuteronomy 32, says, he says, and in doing so, you will heap coals on their heads. Now, scholars are not sure exactly what this means, but I can tell you for sure what it means. If you have a burning coal on your head, you are not comfortable. You're not comfortable. And isn't it true, when we do kind things to difficult people, 
they don't know what to do with that. And that discomfort becomes their best hope of actually stopping their difficult behavior. They actually can experience life change when they find out we love them and we care for them. So, what does that look like? I'm going to give you two quick examples. One's kind of small, one's much larger. Uh, When I pastored a church in Louisville, uh, we were six blocks from Churchill Down, and we were also very close to the red light district of Louisville, which meant there were strip clubs, uh, there was prostitution, adult entertainment centers. Um, So it was a challenging environment. You know, we tended not to have a whole lot to do with those folks. The last couple of years we were there, uh, we hit upon this idea that every Easter, we would send to the strip clubs, uh, two or three of them, we would send a gift basket. Because you don't expect a church to send a gift basket to a strip club, right? And we were hoping just to make everybody at the strip club go, huh? That was our hope. We were doing good. Now, in a far greater way, I want to tell you the story of a pastor in northern Pakistan. Um, his name is Munawar Rumalashah. And yes, I have to look and move my finger to be able to know how to pronounce it correctly. Um, in this area of Pakistan, he is in a place where Al-Qaeda is still very active. Radical Muslims are still very much in control. And there is government-endorsed persecution uh, of Christians, particularly economically. Uh, The Pakistani anti-blasphemy laws are a constant threat for Christians. Um, It is fairly common in this area of Pakistan for radical Muslims to take a copy of the Bible and put it on the doorstep of a church and then urinate on it. Christian businesses are vandalized. Licenses are difficult to obtain for Christians. Now, you would think in the face of all this, uh, this pastor and his church would be filled with hatred toward Muslims. But this pastor has said, no, 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 no. We are going to love our enemies. He sees the persecution as an opportunity to display Christ's love. And so I want you to hear his quote. It's it's just humbling. He says, we clean the wounds of those who hate us and those who would kill us. Now, now folks, can I just tell you, I, I think if somebody brought a Bible and put it on the steps of our church and urinated on it, we would just light up social media with outrage. How dare they do this? It's awful, it's terrible, what kind of country are we living in? You know, these people are terrible. I just wanna ask you, which is closer to the way of Jesus? To take to social media and outrage, or to say, we view this as an opportunity to love that person? That's the power of good. And in case you've forgotten, That's the gospel. 
Remember that Jesus Christ came into this world and the evil of this world put him on a cross, but it was part of God's plan and on that cross, he died for our sins so that a bridge of healing could be made between us and God. And if we would walk across that bridge, we could be children of God, not enemies of God. And Jesus died on that cross so that there could be healing in this world. And his resurrection proves that he has the power to forgive us and the power to heal us. And when we live in resurrection power, we're not afraid of difficult people because we serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow with hope, I tell you, there is power in good over evil. Evil does not win. That's our hope. And that's why we need to be more like Jesus and believe in the goodness that is ours through the Holy Spirit. So forgive the difficult people in your life. Forgive those who've hurt you in the past. Pray for them. Do good for them. Write them a letter and say, you know, I know we've had our issues in the past. I just want you to know I forgive you. And God help me as I'm preaching this right now. God just popped into my brain a letter I need to write. Don't you hate it when he does that? And don't you know that he's really speaking to you when he does? When God puts that kind of thought in your mind that you weren't thinking about, and you wouldn't naturally do, you know it comes from the Holy Spirit. So I just want to ask you, has Jesus changed you so you can do good? Has Jesus changed you so you now can do good? It all starts with having a relationship with Jesus. Of saying, I am a sinner. I can be the difficult person. Forgive me. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do good. And I recognize I can only do that when he's in my life. Now, maybe you say, well, I've done that, Clay. I've prayed that prayer, but I've still got a long way to go. Join the club. Join the club. We've got a long way to go. But what matters is the direction you're pointing your life. Are you pointing it in the direction of Jesus? Because don't you remember, don't you remember what he said on the cross? This man dying naked in front of, of the very people who put him on that cross. Don't you remember what he said? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. These difficult people, Father, forgive them. That's the power that changes the world. That's the power that changes you. So I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just... We do this so that you can create some private space. And I simply want to ask you, is there a difficult person in your life? Do you need to forgive them? Do you need to be at peace with them? Do you need to let go and let God have the last word? Do you need to give them something good? If you're not a follower of Jesus, is that a decision you need to make today? And so, Heavenly Father, I, I want to give you thanks. You are the great God of good. 
And Jesus is your great testimony, your great word to us of your goodness. So we trust the power of your goodness above all else. Let it flow in our own lives so that we know how to deal with difficult people. Help us to forgive and let go and trust. And Father, I pray for the people in this room, people watching online who do not know you, help them take that next step and accept Christ as their Savior. I ask all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.